it is a great market. It's a market that is growing in all fields, even with the, with the pandemic going on. Uh, we have seen certain sectors that are still moving. <laughs> Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? We're we're doing well. We are still in the middle of all of our home improvement slash reconstruction projects. So we're we're, uh, clawing our way through that process. There is starting to be a glimmer of light at the end of the tunnel uh, because we're starting to like get bids and getting ideas of like what things are going to cost and what all the options are. And so hopefully, hopefully that will actually happen this year. That's, (laughs) That's fingers crossed that during the calendar year of 2021, we'll have all of those projects done. Good. I hope so. The k- kitchen takes a while and it's, it's the, like a big part of the house, right? That's, that's the it food, that's does. the entertainment area. So See, it's important. It is important. Absolutely. And, but the problem is you do the kitchen and then at least in our house, you do the kitchen and then you probably have to redo the flooring. Mm-hmm. Well, the flooring in the kitchen doesn't just stop in the kitchen. So it extends out throughout the house. So now you're talking about basically redoing the flooring and almost every area of the house. And then uh, we have this strange idea in our minds that it would be nice to have a pool. Yeah. Um, and I think I think really what's been driving that is because last year during the pandemic, we couldn't go to the normal public pool that we used to go to to, to get our swimming itch. We we're like, well, we should have a, just put a pool in in the backyard. Well, now it's 2021 and we were kind of thinking maybe we should do that. And now we have a kitchen remodel to do on top of it. So. Oh, no. Yeah. 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 The- both, both, both are necessary, right? Kind of in areas that you, you really need a pool. We, I, so I never had a pool growing up. We, we had like above ground pools, like the little, the, the cheaper ones. And then my husband and I got our house. It came with a pool. And I thought a pool that it wasn't on our big list, but I thought, oh, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. We didn't know how much, you know, was going to keep to, to upkeep it, but it's amazing. And it's so easy. And definitely one of the, the better investments having a house with a pool. So I agree. You you got to have the pool. Maybe the pool should come first before the kitchen because your kitchen's kind of functional now. And summer is coming. It's 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 going to get warm in probably two months, right? So you got to get going. Yeah, I hear you. We're debating this. This is this is the subject of vigorous debate at my house right now. And then, of course, because uh, I think we were talking uh, last time about how Rome was neither financed nor built in a day. It's like, then you have to finance all these projects and how much do you want to tolerate financing in one year yeah. versus maybe doing it in separate years. So that's, that's where we are. That's aside from everything else. We're also doing that. The saga continues. The saga continues. <laughs> all right. Well, I thought, uh, today we could talk a little cross-border, uh, planning. And I thought there'd be nobody more fun to do that with than our partner, Rodrigo Castillo-Coton, who is a partner in our law firm in Bogota, Colombia. Rodrigo is a very well-regarded uh, trust and estates practitioner, maybe private client practitioner is the better way to say that, unless you correct me, Rodrigo. 
Rodrigo, and uh, we couldn't be happier than to have you on. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for the invitation. I'm happy to be here with you guys. So for the uh, the five people in the world who don't know who you are, give us your sort of background. Okay, this is just a quick summary. Uh, thank you for, for the invitation and, uh, and the introduction. I'm, I'm basically a tax attorney uh, dedicated to clients 24-7. Um, I have been dedicated uh, for most part of my career to do uh, state planning, cross-border state planning. Um, I'm based in Colombia. I just recently joined Ramon and I'm very happy. Uh, life, ha life has been so much different. Uh, since I joined Ramon and the practice itself is very much different. And, um, and and basically, very quick, what I do is help my clients to have their net worth and their uh, state uh, properly organized. And that takes a lot of time of my professional life. I also do tax. I do also corporate tax, but it's not, to be very honest, my passion is more on the side of the estate planning that the tax corporate world. Yeah, it sounds really familiar to us, really <laughs> familiar. It's almost like we do the tax work, you know, we do sort of there's there's corporate tax and there's for us partnership tax and and stuff, but it's sort of the background, not the forefront of our day-to-day -day life. You know, we're we're structuring things for clients for estate planning purposes that have a corporate tax component to it. You know, it's yeah. a piece of the puzzle, it's not the whole puzzle. Yeah, probably all of us, we started first as juniors, attorneys doing some kind of a corporate work, corporate tax work. But thanks God, something happened down the road and we ended up doing more private client work, which to me, it seems to be a lot more, I guess, that fun that doing a corporate tax work. So I'm very happy with the type of work that, that we do and that we do together. So you mentioned the the transition to Ramon. I am kind of interested to hear what that's been like. I can give you kind of my take on my transmit my uh, transition too, but I'm I'm curious to hear how yours has been. Well, let me start out by saying that um, it came in a perfect moment in my professional life. Um, I was working in another firm that that I still love. It's a great firm. And I have uh, very good friends over there. Um, I used to work and I was a partner at Baker McKenzie in the Bogota office. Those were great years, but um, but the market is changing. Uh, the demand of uh, legal services and the type of services that we provide require uh, another approach. And um, and I w when I was reached by Ramon, I was really surprised when I start reading how it works, uh, the transparency, the somehow anti-hierarchy system, uh, how the cooperation between partners works, and I was ready for it. It was somehow I was prepared for it. Um, and then I, I was I, I was lucky in a way because I had my own book of business. So the transition to me was very much welcome from the side of my partners and uh, also from the side of my clients. All everyone understood that it was the proper change in my career, and my clients were very happy because finally uh, we could reach out uh, some sort of agreements, fixed fee agreements or other type of agreements in terms of billing that could adjust to their needs. So um, 
I continue doing the same work that I was doing, but in a way more flexible for my clients. And also I was, I'm now more accessible to them. So, so the transition has been fantastic to me, to be very honest. And now being inside of Ramon, uh, seeing the technology, seeing how the firm works, I just, I just love it, you know. Conversations between partners take five minutes. Decisions take 10 minutes. Uh, billing is done in one hour, same day. I'm able to see collections same day. Uh, it's just it's just up to the year we are today. So I'm, I'm super happy. Yep, pretty, pretty similar for me too. Uh, was at a very great firm, large law firm. Rachel and I were both working there and wasn't necessarily uh, looking for Ramon. It just kind of got, I got contacted by them uh, or one of their recruiters and had talked to the recruiter who had explained the whole system. And honestly, when when he first explained the system, it was super interesting to me, but I was just thinking, I, I don't know if I could do it because you know I'm, I'm used to being in a big full service firm where the real estate person is down the hall and the corporate person is down the hall and the labor and employment person is down the hall and they're all like right here where I am. Um, and just the more and more I thought about it, the more I, I realized like, yeah, I really need to do it. I need, sort of to your points, like all right, I need to, I need to have the flexibility to run the practice the way that a practice should be run now, not the way a practice should have been run in 1980 or 1990. Um, mm-hmm. That's not a knock on, not necessarily a knock on larger, older law firms in terms of the quality, because they're they have a lot of quality and and they're very very talented groups of lawyers. It's just the structures are very hard to change. And it's almost impossible for those law firms to do what Ramon does because you have to unwind so much of the business, it's cost prohibitive. So it, it was, I kind of came to the, that realization, like if if I wanted a platform similar to Ramon, then you have to go to a firm that started out that way because every other firm cannot just back into it. It's that, too that's, hard. That, that's right. But as, as professionals, we always, and I guess this is very common around the globe, we always live in some sort of a paradox, right? We are in a comfort zone where we like the firm, we are happy with that big law firm, but we we see things that could never be changed. Even if you fight for it, where you're going to gain its enemies instead of uh, good changes. So um, I always wonder, I never saw myself, to be very honest, living out of the Baker world. That's, that's the truth of the matter. But I always wonder, how is the outside world? Should I go by myself, et cetera? But when, when I was contacted by Ramon, it was just a perfect match. It's not for everyone, that's for sure. It's, it's not for everyone. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but I just truly, truly like it. Cool. Well, let's, uh, let's dig in then a little bit on sort of the topic at hand, which is really uh, Columbia and and cross-border U.S. Columbia planning. I think where we should start, unless either of you think I'm off base here, is maybe just a quick primer on the key features of Columbia's tax system, uh, because the tax systems tend to drive so much of the cross-border planning. Okay, that's that's a crucial uh, question. And I will tell you that uh, from the out- inbound perspective, uh, there are two things that you have to consider either if you are a corporation or an individual doing an investment. Uh, there, there is a thing that happens here that, that 
that is really relevant. It's not as common, uh, it's not as frequent as in other countries, but we have tax reforms every two years. And, and you have to be flexible enough uh, to take that into consideration because the rules are constantly changing. Uh, there are many arguments and there are many reasons why that happens, but the truth of the matter is that we have tax reforms at least every two years. In the last three years, we had two, and the government is already talking about another one. Um, so, so, so we have changes all the time. We have changes in terms of, let's say, income tax withholding rates. We have changes to the income tax rates. So you have to be extremely careful when you do your planning, uh, let's say inbound planning into Colombia, if you are going to invest in real estate, for example, you have to consider uh, which is the taxation at the national level, which for you is going to be the federal level, but also you have to consider which is the treatment at the level of the municipalities, for example. So you, you, you have to really, really, really plan before doing the investment and being prepared um, for a different treatment where you are trying to do the repatriation of the cash or the income because the rates are going to change. However, it is a great market. It's a market that is growing in all fields. Even with the, with the pandemic going on, uh, we have seen certain sectors that are still moving. Uh, so it, it pretty much depends in the type of investment that you will have, uh, in the type of services that probably you provide. Um, so you, you, the recommendation will be you have to plan before, you need to have sound advice before just investing into the, in, into the country. The same will go if you are trying to do outbound investments. But, but, but I guess that uh, for you now it's more relevant to consider, let's say, for example, U.S. investors that would like to come into the countries. We have constant changes to the income tax rates and to the income tax withholdings. I have seen changes in the last five years at least three, four times. That's that's crucial. We can go, of course, into the details, but it will take us the whole morning. The other thing that is relevant for you to consider is that Colombia is one of the few countries that forever, I mean, forever is 87 years, has had in the system um, wealth tax regimes. So for those that are coming into the country, they would always have to search or research and find out if the investment they are going to do, let's say, for example, in real estate again, uh, is going to be subject or if the investment is going to be done, let's say, in a company, is that going to be subject to wealth tax or not? We have seen, we have seen different changes in the past two years ago. It was subject to the wealth tax. Now it is not. So you have to be all the time updated, talking to your lawyers to be sure that when you're going to either invest or repatriate capital or income, you will be sure that you are applying the proper tax treatment. Otherwise, you're going to have uh, the tax office knocking on your door every two years, that's for sure. That is so interesting. It's it's so different, you know, when you think of the U.S. and it's like how many years have to pass before a change in the, in the tax laws, like a major change like we saw with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Um, I feel like you you need almost a, a complete change in power between the Republican and Democratic Party in order to really see a substantial change in the tax laws. So that's it's so interesting to me to hear that 
it changes so frequently. It's great job security, I guess, for, for lawyers and accountants. One question I have, Rodrigo, you mentioned, you know, that you've got the national tax system and then you've got the municipalities. You know, here in the U.S., we see um, sometimes there could be substantial differences between like a state um, and what taxes that they impose on citizens and U.S. residents versus the national. Or sometimes they could be pretty similar. So how is it in Colombia? Is it pretty similar or are they are they different? No, they are. They are. Let's say it's the system itself. Let's say real estate property tax, for example. Uh, the way it is calculated is similar, but the rates are not. And the rates are always adjusted and the taxable base is adjusted every year. So you don't really know how much the tax is going to be next year because the base or the value of the real estate is adjusted every year. So uh, you, you don't really know. So there are certain parts of the country where having real estate uh, investment will be a little bit more expensive than having in another part of, of the country. So there are changes uh, in terms of that. Also, there is a, um, a, an industry and commerce tax in each one of the municipalities. So if you are located, let's say, seven to eight municipalities and you are providing services you're going to get crazy with the with the assessments and from the from the different tax offices at those levels and with the calculation of the taxes so so it's something to to really think of but but going back to the thing that you said of the of the u.s uh, system we were also very surprised with the changes that you have a few years ago uh the colombian investors were also surprised and now Guess what? They're a little bit scared because is it the capital uh, gains rate going to change? Uh, did we did it right when we invested uh, in real estate or let's say in those uh, zones which have um, some benefits for real estate, etc. So there are also a lot of concerns, not only <laughs> on, let's say on Colombian investor about the, the the Colombian tax system, but also what is going to happen in the U.S. Because I can tell you that at least uh, eighty percent of the of my of my clientele they do business in the U.S. They have connections to the U.S. So we are all very let's say intrigued to see what is going to happen in the, in the in the U.S. Right. And nobody really yeah. knows at the end. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Lots of people are guessing, but nobody really knows. There's been a well, there's been a there's been a little bit of a change in that regard in the US, I think, over the last say five years, where tax reform has become something that the government tries to do very frequently and very, very quickly. So the uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, which was at the end of 2017 that Rachel mentioned, that that was the biggest change in the tax code in the U.S. since 1986. And yet the 1986 act, I think, was done over the course of two, two and a half years. And the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was prepared in the course of several months. So everything has just been accelerated in terms of speed, in terms of frequency of changes. And very much to your point, Rodrigo, first of all, it makes investors hesitant because they're not sure what they should be doing, largely because that means people like us don't know what to tell them they should be doing, right? We don't know the exact answer. We only know possible answers. And uh, number two, it means that if, if tax return reform is happening very, very quickly and not as thoughtfully that when the rules come out, 
they they might be missing things. They might not be as clear as they could have been. And so the even the the rules that come out, which sometimes are very complex, um, they have a bunch of holes in them because nobody really thought it through enough before it was enacted into law. There's a lot of in the U.S. kicking the can or or you know passing the obligation off to the Treasury Department to fix mistakes through regulation, and you end up we've ended up within this cycle certainly over the last five years where you get the tax legislation passed and then over the course of the next two or three years regulations come out that can actually change the rules mm-hmm. and because they're trying to fill in the gaps where the legislation doesn't really say what the rules should be and that's very that's hard to make planning decisions in that environment so if certainly i could empathize that if uh if columbia is changing their tax rules every two years it'd be very difficult um to make planning decisions so on that topic then if it is yeah it, it, it is on that on that topic then you know if you have a if you have say a us investor who's going to invest in a, an, a an apartment building project in bogota if you want them to have flexibility what are the sorts of things that you try to do for them so that they have a little bit of flexibility um where you could make changes to the structure in the future, assuming that it's even possible to make those changes. It depends on on the on the size of the project. Uh, if we're going to have a major development, major development, well, you know what is major, what is big, what is small, it depends on the eye. But uh, but if we're going to have a major development in real estate, meaning you know a project, a development, construction, etc., a big project. Usually, what we will think about is having a local trust. Um, by having a local trust, you will have a pass-through vehicle, so everything will be somehow taxed in the head of the investment, uh, the investor, sorry, and not in a company in order not to have cash trapping issues, etc. So if the project is big, you usually will do will do that. You will have a local trust that will that will be set up to do the investment and to do the capital calls, etc. That that's that's one option. The other is if you have just you know the retired individual that is in the U.S. and has the dream of owning an apartment, let's say in Cartagena, Colombia. You you probably must simply go by direct ownership. I guess that will be probably the better, but um, you might end up having some sort of other type of problems, succession, estate planning, etc. So maybe you will, might go for a corporate, a simple, simplified stock uh, company that will make your life easier in case of death, etc. You might probably have another company in the U.S. that will be connected to uh, to these companies, you will not have any type of, uh, let's say, inheritance and succession problems uh, in the country. Um, but that that would be basically the way to go. Yeah, and that sounds somewhat familiar uh, for us as well, where when we're advising U.S. clients investing overseas, oftentimes what we're trying to do is kind of meet two two different goals. Goal number one being we usually do not want them to own a foreign entity that will be treated as a corporation for U.S. tax purposes because we don't want them to own a, a so-called controlled foreign corporation or CFC, which, you know, Columbia kind of has their own version of it, I know. And um, and then we also don't want them to own a passive foreign investment company or PFIC. 
from the U.S. perspective. And so we want them to own certain types of entities in foreign countries that will give us pass-through treatment to avoid those issues. But then, uh, to your point, because of the succession issues, we also want them to have their ownership in that foreign country connected to a U.S. entity somehow, whether that's, say, their U.S. trust or like a U.S. LLC or some entity that's, that's at home in the U.S. for them, where that entity is the ultimate owner, so there isn't a succession issue because the entity doesn't die, and we can control whatever's below that entity in the or from the U.S. structure. Sure. Um, I mean, and how you piece those puzzles together in each jurisdiction is is a little bit of a magic trick. Right, and and that's that's where that's where our works uh, gain some value because then we have to coordinate and make sure that we are using the proper entity. That will not be in the per se list for you, so the company will, can be treated as a disregarded. But then we have to be sure that um, if we, let's it, it, and it also let, let me tell you, it also works the same way around. Um, if we have a Colombian doing the investment in the U.S., we also ha- want to be sure that um, it will not be subject to multiple taxation in the U.S. and in Colombia if the, com- the money is coming from a Colombian investor. So, yes, that's when, when the uh, attorneys get the real value. <laughs> and, and we always spend some, some time trying to figure out how to properly match, in this case, the U.S. and Colombia for for a particular client. It could be challenging sometimes. <laughs> Definitely, it's the the challenging and the the fun stuff, right? Going back to the very beginning, right? That's the where the it's, it gets really fun for us because we kind of get to geek out and really get into these laws. This this happened to be in December. Uh, I just received a client. I called for for my client saying. I want to get that apartment. I want to get that apartment in the U.S. It's in a really good price, and we we have such a complex structure, family structure, etc. I said, listen, you have to give me, you have to give me at least three weeks. I cannot do it in one day. You have to give me three days, uh, three weeks. Sorry, just to be sure that we do it properly. That we do it properly. That the investment is properly done in the U.S. We need to find someone in the U.S. that is going to help you, at least to review everything. But I cannot wait. I cannot wait the three weeks. Well, you have to, because otherwise, otherwise, you know, you're going to lose the investment, either because you didn't do the right tax planning, or either because you didn't even read the documents from a, a corporate point of view. <laughs> but it happens all the time. I always tell my clients, if you're going to change resident, residence, you have to give me at least a year or half year. If you're going, if you're going to buy something that you truly like, you have to tell me in advance. We have to discuss before. Sometimes I don't know if this happens to you too, but sometimes I see I get surprised in a bad way because I, I receive a client that I have been taking care of for five years. And then he tells me, well, you know, we just got this company in this country and with this, this and do and that. And how you did it? No, it was very simple. I just executed the agreement this way. You have to redo everything. We have to go back and redo everything. But happens all the time. Yep, it sure does. It's that it's I think it's hard for clients to understand, especially in a cross border context and even just purely domestic. It's plenty complicated. But in a cross border context that the the layering of different uh, sets of laws and different sets of taxing systems creates unbelievable complexity. You're trying to match up two systems that don't 
first of all, they don't coordinate with each other. They're not the same. They don't even treat the same entity the same way. And so it takes a lot of effort to do that. And it's, so, it's first of all, it's hard, I think, hard for the clients to understand that that is the case. And then second, of course, it's expensive to do that. And so oftentimes clients think, I'll just save the cost, I'll go and do the thing, and then I'll let everybody know after the fact, not realizing that one, most of the time, especially in a cross-border context, once you do the transaction, it is close to impossible to undo the transaction for free. There's, it's almost always a taxable event somewhere to un unwind the transaction. And we see that a lot, especially in real estate investments in the U.S. because of the FERPTA issues. Uh, and I, you know, I know in, in Colombia, there are similar issues. One of the issues that uh, I think I understand correctly in Colombia, I hope you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Rodrigo, is that um, in Colombia, even a gift of property can be treated as a taxable event. It can it can trigger capital gains to make a gift of property from one person to the next. Am I do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. If you do if you do a gift from from a per, from one person to another, even if you are within the same uh, ownership, even if you are within the same group of owners, you can have a gift tax. I know probably I'm mistaken, but in the US, you can do some sort of a reorganizations. Uh, if at the end, everything is seen as a transparent and uh, you are just moving one piece to another entity here, if you do it, even if you have the same ultimate beneficial owner, you might be triggering uh, gift tax. Yes. And that, that, and I don't, sorry, and I don't think Colombia is totally unique in that regard. Okay. That's a fairly similar rule. It's, but it's so different from the U.S. rule, at least as the U.S. gift tax rules apply to U.S. residents and U.S. citizens, because they have these enormous right now enormous exclusion amounts, that it becomes very surprising for U.S. Uh, clients who are, say, doing transactions in Colombia to find out that if they make a gift, it could be a taxable event there. And it creates a problem or it creates a challenge from a, a planning perspective, because if you want to shift ownership around, you you have to take into account that even though there may not be, uh, there may be no consideration, maybe no funds flowing between the parties, you could still be triggering capital gains. Yeah. And not only that, let's say, let's say, for example, because we just, we just, just the simple case of uh, an asset being transferred to another corporation between the same group of uh, ultimate beneficial owners. But let's say that you have a U.S. investor, right, that it, that holds Colombian assets and is trying to somehow do a reorganization of foreign assets. If by consequence of that, you move the property indirectly of the Colombian CITUS asset, you might also be triggering tax in Colombia because there is a, re a system that is called indirect sales regime, which at the end, it ends up being very complicated because you can always have, let's say, yourself as the owner of the whole structure, but you are trying to, let's say, liquidate an entity that is in the Cayman Island, for example, because you don't need it anymore because you just want to reduce. But if that company is the owner of the Colombian entity, then you might be triggering um, tax in Colombia, capital gain tax that could be treated either as regular income at the regular income tax rate, or it could go up, it could go down to the capital gains tax depending on the holding period. It doesn't make any sense. I'm not selling at the end to a third party uh, the asset. Those are the type of things that make the whole system quite complex and contradictory. 
but it's a result also of trying to have a system that is somehow compliant with the international standard, but has been subject to constant changes every two years. So there is a, you know, a budgetary deficit, so we have to go for a tax reform. But then I don't think they take, they have the time. It's not that they don't take the time. They, I don't think that at the end, the government that is proposing the tax reform to the Congress has really the time to consider and think about the whole system when they are proposing a new system, a new rules, set of rules like the one we are seeing for indirect sales. It's just, it's, it's a, it's, let me tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a real issue here. Yep, and it kind of I uh, and I can uh, speaking from experience uh, tell you that those sorts of things come as a huge shock to uh, U.S. investors in foreign countries with similar systems. It's um, but it's a challenge. It's part of what makes those transactions difficult, and it's also part of what makes the planning on the front end so important. Because it's not just and and this is I mean this would be true I'm sure of of just a purely domestic transaction. You know, say purely U.S. transaction versus a purely uh, Colombian transaction. That you have to not just think about how do we get in to this transaction, but also then how do we get out of the transaction. Um, and you may have two totally different tax results getting in and getting out. And if you haven't thought about both sides of it, then you could unintentionally be trapped. So that that exists even in pure domestic transactions. Then when you're doing cross-border work, it's even more important because oftentimes the rules, at least the rules that would apply to the domestic transaction, they sort of get inverted on their head. And the rules that you're operating under from a U.S. perspective, can be essentially the opposite of what they would be uh, were it a purely domestic transaction. But if you haven't thought through how do you get into the transaction and how do you get out of the transaction, you can end up stepping on landmines um, unintentionally. And, and, and it's hard because and it's hard because you might you might want to say, well, let's go for for the treaty options. Let's try to use some treaties. But we only have 11 treaties in force. And sometimes, let's say if we're doing a U.S.-Colombian operation or transaction, then you have the limitation of benefits from the U.S. side. Then some of these new rules that are in place in Colombia, if you have a treaty, you are not really pr protected. Um, so, so yes, it's, you have to be flexible enough to be to know that you're going to face uh, challenges from, from, from the tax perspective. One, so changing gears just a little bit, one very common way that we do estate planning work in the U.S. is through trusts. What is the, what's the preferred Columbia method for estate planning? Well, it depends pretty much on, on, the, on the facts and the realities of each one of the families. Um, Colombia, the, the Colombians are very much connected to the U.S. due to different uh, circumstances. Back in the 80s, 90s, many Colombians flew to the to the U.S. for protection. So now today we have beneficiaries, second generations are uh, U.S. citizens. So every time you're doing planning for those cases, and, and that's the vast majority of cases, uh, you will see that you might need also proper tools from the U.S. perspective. So 
kind of this type of uh, conversation, of course, more into the details and technicalities. But but I see a lot of uh, of trust uh, when you have U.S. beneficiaries or U.S. connections. Um, we have seen in in the legal market in Colombia changes to the trust rules. So we have been adjusting uh, to the new rules in order to be sure that these trusts are fully compliant. Uh, we saw a new uh, change in 2014 that came into effect 2015, the same to with 2016, the same with the 2018 that came into effect in 2019, and the same in 2019 with 2020. So, um, so we are all the time changing. So we have to do trust, for example, that are robust enough uh, to face any type of challenge from the tax office. But at the same time, they are flexible enough to be sure that those could be modified. But if you have cases where you don't have the U.S., uh, we still see when you have international assets, we still we, it's very common to see the use of uh, private foundations, for example. There are some cases where you see uh, life insurance policies. Um, but when you are in the purely domestic scenario, uh, we, we, we see a lot of different combinations. Uh, you will have the typical case of very traditional use of usufructs, for example, are very common. Also, um, what we call fiducia, civil law fiducia, which is kind of a trust uh, from your perspective, uh, but, but pretty much domestic, simplified. Um, we also use uh, companies that are, that are flexible and thanks God there exist because we can adapt them to the reality of each family. It's kind of, I cannot say it is kind of an LLC because it's not, uh, but it is called Simplified Stock uh, Corporation where you can, own, you can, for example, have just one director, one officer, one shareholder. You can have different type of shares. Um, so for succession and estate planning, uh, those are frequently used for that purpose. So there's a, yeah, and that's really interesting. Uh, I, there's a couple of uh, interesting little tidbits in there that you mentioned that I, I want to ask you about. So first, you mentioned um, foundations, uh, which is a it's a civil law concept, somewhat akin to trust. But I don't think anybody could say that foundations are necessarily trust. The U.S. has been very slow to uh, adopt foundations. I think there are two states in the U.S. that allow them: Wyoming and and New Hampshire. And and I and the federal tax treatment of foundations is somewhat murky. Uh, I think overall they're treated as trust from U.S. perspective, but they could also be treated as corporations. So we have this weird relationship with them. But it doesn't sound like um, Columbia has the same relationship. So if somebody say set up a Panamanian foundation and then do an, did investing through the foundation in Colombia, it doesn't sound like Colombia would have as hard a time with it as we would. I, I can I just can laugh because I always remember the cases where there is a client coming to your office saying, you know, I have this uh, private foundation done in the 90s, um, but, but you know, my, 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 my daughter is now living in the US, so, and have you talked to somebody in the US to review how the foundation is treated? So then you talk to your, your fellow partner in the US, I call you brand, we have this issue, how do we treat this foundation? Is it a grant or trust? Is it a non-grantor trust? It's always <laughs> quite complex. Uh, there are a lot of cases like that here, but but for us, uh, the private foundation 
is just seen as a corporate vehicle. Um, and from the tax perspective, what you have to, to consider is, is it the foundation um, from an income tax perspective a, a, a CFC or not? Do we have passive income? Do we have to report? Uh, how updated uh, is the compliance part? Uh, do we have to either amend tax return to be sure that this person is properly reporting uh, the foundation and also the income that is derived through the foundation? But 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 in in countries like Curacao, Panama, in even the Netherlands. You have the, the the concept, if we can call it that way, of this foundation being private foundations. But to see it from the U.S. perspective, of course, you will have to see who controls, who have um, relevant control decisions and uh, substance uh, controlling decisions, let's say, uh, who are the beneficiaries, etc. But if you are only in the Colombian uh, scenario, what you have to see is First, is this a compliant foundation? Has the foundation been properly reported? That's that's crucial. Um, is the income reported or is not treated as a CFC? So then we just have to wait for distributions to take place to report, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to get boring with the with the details. Uh, but we no, can no, that was good. No, no, that was really good. And and yeah. sorry for any for any U.S. listener who's thinking, like, why is Rodrigo talking about charities? Um, private foundation in this context does not mean a charity. There is in the U.S., we have two kinds of charities, private foundations and public charities. So when we say private foundation, most people think of charities. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, a legal structure in certain civil law countries and then other countries that have adopted these civil law rules that is similar, although not identical, to a trust in the U.S. It's sort of a, a little bit in the in between a trust and the corporate structure. It's very hard to explain um, much more simply than that, but that's that's why we keep saying private foundation. We don't really mean a charity in the U.S. We mean these other civil law structures. You might you might remember the days when reviewing a W8, there were some old type of discussions. Is this a trust? Is this a corporation? Remember that? <laughs> It's, it, as I say, it's a very murky area from a U.S. perspective, but they can be they can be very useful structures when they're deployed into a country that recognizes them, but might not be as friendly to a U.S. trust, for example. Uh, we run into this issue in particular in in Mexico, for example. Mexico does not particularly do well with U.S. trust. They have um, their own system that is similar. It's not quite a foundation. It's not quite a trust, the Fideocomisos in Mexico. Um, but they don't really have uh, a trust statute like you have in the U.S. And so sometimes in a country like that, where you might have a mismatch in treatment of, say, a U.S. trust owning property in that country, a foundation might be a middle point where you could use a foundation to then acquire assets in that country. And then hopefully both countries treat that entity the same way. We have seen cases. Let me give you an example of how complex this could be. Let's 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 put this case. We have a Colombian founder, for example. Then we have a daughter in the US. We have a son in Spain. We have a son in Switzerland. 
and we have some in France, right? So France does not recognize the, the trust. Spain does not. Switzerland is some way in the middle for tax purposes, not for corporate, from a corporate perspective. And then in the US, you would always say that you prefer to have a trust. So this is just a small, um, uh, evidence of how complicated it could be. Yep, exactly. It's once you once you start crossing over, I mean, crossing over one international border, say U.S. to Colombia, like we were talking about, that's very complicated. Then you start crossing over multiple international borders, and it just it just compounds it. It exponentially gets more complex because you're trying to satisfy many different ideas of how the legal system should be structured and how entities should be treated. So uh, hopefully is everybody is getting the idea you know? they need to get good lawyers, basically. And 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 here's another challenge. Then this same founder goes to another attorney office. They go to another law firm. And then another attorney has another point of view of how this should be treated from the Colombian perspective. It's like going to the doctor. You you can only go to two doctors. You cannot go to five. Otherwise, you're going right. to get crazy and you have to take a decision. There's no other way. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> well, that uh, I really appreciate that, man. We could talk to you um, all day. I know uh, this sort of stuff is very interesting to us, um, Rodrigo. So uh, I think we're going to have to reset this and chat again because uh, I feel like we just barely, barely, barely scratched the surface on some of these issues. But really appreciate your uh, expertise. If, if people are trying to reach you, how do they reach you? Well, they can either do it uh, through my email that is in Ramona webpage. There, they will see also my phone. They can contact you and tell you. It was inter really interesting, the call that, or the conversation that you had a week ago. How can I contact that crazy guy? So you can give him my details, but pretty much through the, through the email and, uh, and the phone or even LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a pretty useful tool. Okay, sounds good. And we'll we'll put all of your uh, contact information in the show notes too, so anybody that's looking for Rodrigo can find him there. Uh, and once again, thank you very much, Rodrigo. Thank you both. Has been a pleasure. If you're enjoying what we're doing with the podcast, please subscribe and follow us on social at Wealth and Law and follow our blog, wealthandlaw.com. See you there.